vaccine supply issues. It is a balancing and uh, yes, it makes us all anxious. Dwindling deliveries from Pfizer and who gets what's left of the other two options. Whistler's community-wide vaccination. All of my friends tried to get the earliest appointments. I have a bunch of friends coming in today. What it'll take to cool down BC's variant hotspot. And international arrivals on the run. How more than 100 people escaped mandatory quarantine. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with a concerning uptick in COVID-19 related hospitalizations in this province. That's right. Over the past three days, we've had 3,289 new cases, bringing BC's total close to 113,000 with nearly 10,000 active cases and almost 16,000 people in self-isolation. 368 people are in hospital. That's up 36, with 121 of them in the ICU. That's up 19. Sadly, we've lost 18 more people. And 1,024,357 people in B.C. have received at least one dose of the vaccine. Now, as British Columbians, more British Columbians are becoming eligible to book their vaccinations, there are growing concerns about the supply of vaccine arriving in our province. This week, B.C. is set to receive about 140,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine. But as Richard Zussman reports, shipments of Moderna and AstraZeneca are proving to be far less regular. Down to the wire in a race between vaccine and variants, British Columbians just hoping to get enough Pfizer vaccine to get to the next leg of the race. We expect this week to receive a shipment of 138,000 doses of Pfizer vaccine just in time to continue the program. This is how close it is this week. British Columbia currently has a little less than 60,000 doses for Monday and Tuesday, with 138,000 doses arriving around Tuesday or Wednesday. For the next few days, Moderna around 54,000 doses, with 105,900 expected this week, originally scheduled for last week. And then there's around 43,000 AstraZeneca doses expected in BC. We have significantly more capacity than we have vaccine. We could deliver more if we can get it. And the problem isn't going away. BC was once receiving 161,000 doses of Pfizer a week. Now it's expected for the next few weeks to be around 135,000 doses. Yes, it makes us all anxious, particularly on Monday afternoons. If, uh, if Pfizer doesn't come in as scheduled, um, then we just need to, to postpone clinics. So far, very few clinics have been postponed, but pressure is ramping up on keeping supply up as COVID case counts climb. If those slow down, um, then we are faced with some obvious problems without being able to vaccinate while the numbers are increasing. As of now, those 55 plus are being asked to register for the COVID-19 age-based program, with those 66 plus registered now being able to book. And with the province using Moderna and Pfizer for outbreaks or hotspots, there could be some delay to the age-based rollout. It will have an, an impact, but not, um, not an impact that is it's measured in days as opposed to weeks or months. Then there's AstraZeneca. The province encouraging anyone over 55 to call a local pharmacy and see if they could potentially get that vaccine before they could get Moderna or Pfizer. 
the more people to get vaccinated now, the closer the province gets to the goal of immunizing everyone once by July 1st. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Okay, Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, one of the topics discussed at the briefing today with health officials was surgeries. And some are going to mm-hmm. have to be rescheduled, but apparently not because of a lack of beds. Exactly. No, we've got enough beds. We've got enough ICU beds as well. There's enough room in the hospitals. Uh, the problem is the numbers are so high right now. We literally don't have enough uh, human resources in the right places. So for the first time in almost a year, surgeries are being canceled. Not a lot, but enough of them to make a, a notice. Uh, again, in Surrey, Abbotsford and Royal Columbia. And this is our current situation. Our ICU cases are up 53% since the beginning of the month. A phenomenal record of 121. Hospitalizations up 24% in the same time frame. Currently 368, not quite a record. That was set in early January at 381. What we're approaching that, Health Minister Adrian Dix today saying the numbers are so high, we have to move people around to accommodate the record number of people in ICUs, and that move includes moving critical care nurses. The reasonable growth in cases is having a real impact on healthcare workers, and for the first time, to beginning to impact our effort to ensure individuals receive needed scheduled surgeries since we relaunched the surgical renewal plan in May. In short, it is critical to keep our hospitals open and safe and open to everyone to be able to come in. And to do that, we all need to ensure that we're following public health guidance. Now, how many surgeries are we talking about? Minister Dix told me just a short time ago, roughly about 100 surgeries are affected here. They're not outright canceled, simply being rescheduled. Ironically, because the hospital numbers are actually down in the Northern Health Authority, schedules or surgeries will actually be increased over what had been expected in that health authority. Again, right now it applies to Surrey Memorial, Abbotsford General, and Royal Columbian Hospital. And Minister Dix hopes if the number, that the numbers don't keep going up. Which if they do, it means more surgeries will have to be rescheduled. All right. Don't want to see that. Keith, thanks very much. Starting today, all full-time residents and workers in Whistler are getting their chance to roll up their sleeve and get vaccinated. As the Matagahi reports, that community-wide effort was put into action to help control COVID-19 in one of the province's biggest hotspots. A lot of relief uh, and excitement. And for good reason, because Stephanie Burns, a 30-year-old Whistler Black Home employee, is the first in line to kick off what health officials are calling a vaccine blitz. A shot in every arm by the end of the month. All of my friends tried to get the earliest appointments. I have a bunch of friends coming in today. A few spots behind in line was a grade 12 student athlete who, like many, just wants life as she knew it before last spring. Getting back into a normal summer, being able to train and hang out with friends and graduate properly and almost have a ceremony would be really amazing. Whistler's struggles with COVID are well documented. The resort municipality has registered more than 1,500 cases so far this year. The more contagious P1 variant from Brazil is predominant here. And the town is in the middle of its third COVID surge, mainly passing through young people. It is not about um, wealthy people flying in and going on a ski vacation. It's about the people who live and work in Whistler and uh, the outbreak that is continuing. And while Whistler may have jumped the COVID cube, its mayor is asking for empathy. We would choose to not have P1 in our community and not have the super high case counts that we do. And we would trade that for being first in line on uh, vaccination any day. The mass public vaccine effort will target close to 13,000 people throughout the next two weeks who either work or live in Whistler. The the quicker we can get back to normal, the, the better. And while for some it's routine. I felt pretty good. It was uh, 
easy process. For others, the experience can be emotional. They're excited. I mean, half of they're in tears. They're so happy. I mean, it's hard not to get emotional. The nurses too. You, you just you can't help it. It's infectious. The clinic here at the Whistler Conference Center is for those who were born between the year 1967 and 2003. And according to Vancouver Coastal Health, the best place to book an appointment is on their website. Amadagahi, Global News. More COVID-19 cases have been identified at Sun Peaks Resort near Kamloops. The resort is now seeing a cluster of at least 23 active cases, largely tied to businesses in the resort community. Odd timing considering the winter ski season that saw very few cases is about to wrap up. Interior Health staff were at the mountain Monday to perform additional tests, but at this point, those cases are not being classified as an outbreak. In the last... Uh kind of 10 days of the season people were starting to get in a festive mood and you know the season winding up and kind of celebrating that and I, I think uh, people let their guard down just a little and it's all it takes. Sun Peaks wrapped up the ski season April 5th. The resort community has a full-time population of about 800 people. More details tonight on a story Global News first reported on Sunday. Beginning today, first responders in Surrey and White Rock jumped to the front of the vaccination line. Grace Key tells us why. It's a huge collective sigh of relief for Surrey and White Rock RCMP and firefighters. Starting Monday, they're able to get their COVID vaccination shot. They are the frontline workers serving an area that's been a hotbed for COVID. With the vaccine, that'll give us that extra layer of protection. And also, I have to tell you that this is quite a morale boost for our detachment. Because just like everyone in the community, it's, it's been a long haul. This is a big relief. <laughs> I'm very relieved. Yeah. For Corporal Joni Sidhu, who's due in two weeks, the decision was easy, especially after her pregnant midwife got vaccinated. When you are a pregnant person, you are three to five times more likely to end up in an intensive care unit if you do contract COVID. Um, so that to me was quite shocking and, and quite scary. Um, so it was a big factor in my decision making. The BC Professional Firefighters Association says this is positive news, but it's urging the province to get all first responders vaccinated as quickly as possible. We've asked the provincial government, the health authority, health office to pivot and start using the other vaccines that are available, the Pfizer and the Moderna, um, for uh, firefighters and first responders. Um, so I would encourage them to continue to do that as they're demonstrating today in Surrey. Coast Mountain Bus Company workers at the Burnaby and Surrey Transit Centre also just found out they are on the list to get vaccinated starting on Tuesday. That's close to 2,000 workers. It's all the, uh, the conventional operators, community shuttle that's out of the Surrey and also the staff, uh, the maintenance workers. They are brothers, another local 2200. Uh, all the supervisors, whoever works out of those those two depots will get the vaccination. Based on COVID numbers, Fraser Health identified the two depots as priority locations for expedited vaccinations. Grace Key, Global News. A new report is raising some serious questions about Canada's enforcement of pandemic requirements for travellers. As Ted Chernecki reports, more than 100 people who flew into Vancouver in the past few weeks have simply refused to self-quarantine. Ted Chernecki reports. New contact tracing information suggests that on average, 
50 COVID cases a day are arriving on international flights into Canada. Most of them are being identified at any one of these government-approved accommodation hotels and don't pose a new risk to the general public. But some are opting to refuse to be quarantined, and a constitutional lawyer believes there's probably a good reason for that. I mean, the logic of it is so illogical that it really invites ridicule upon the government because the government is so inept. I mean, it's like the blind leading the blind. BC Center for Disease Control website shows these confirmed COVID international flights at YVR. 11 flights in eight days. Six came from Delhi. One each from Dallas, Tokyo, and San Francisco. And two outbound flights from YVR to Hong Kong and Los Angeles. All of them had confirmed connections to COVID-19. What happened to the idea of just simply stopping airplanes coming from a country of origin, that's very dangerous. Right now, Canada's in risk of being put on those lists internationally. Oh, you're a Canadian? We don't want you coming to our country uh, because you're one of the most dangerous places on earth. Last week, the Center for Disease Control out of Atlanta warned Americans to not travel to Canada, even if vaccinated, adding one more reason to disband the airport quarantine program. Because it's not like the program has shut down international arrivals. Since February, 2,282 travelers tested positive, or about 50 a day. That's equivalent to one case on every international arriving flight with 100 passengers. The Public Health Agency of Canada also reports 106 passengers arrived at Vancouver International flatly refusing to go into quarantine, arguing it was an unreasonable loss of civil liberty. And they're absolutely right. Their rights are being infringed. And so the question is, I'm just going to pay the license fee. What's my license fee for my liberty? Well, it's $3,000 fine. And you know what? I might not even pay that fine. Come get it. Take me to court. I challenge you. I invite you. The government-approved accommodation quarantine program was designed to stop new variants from coming into Canada. It didn't work, as variants are now rampant in most of the country. Ted Chernecki, Global News. The questionable eye-hit policy that caused a man charged with murder to walk. It should have been an open and shut case of deadly road rage. Why it collapsed and how the province's attorney general is reacting next on the news hour. The raid on a Richmond seafood plant and how one person tried to conceal evidence by eating it. That's later on the news hour. And so cute, it's criminal. The search for some stolen puppies coming up later. Right now, though, the Prosecution Service is reviewing the ramifications of a global news investigation. We first told you about on Friday about the case of Samandeep Gill, a man accused of shooting a newlywed couple a decade ago. The husband in that case was killed. A judge acquitted Gill after tossing a key piece of evidence. Ramina Dea now with more on the fallout. This one case... The acquittal of Samandeep Singh Gill raises serious questions about the potential ramifications on hundreds of homicide files in the province. This is obviously a very important case uh, on a number of levels. The BC Prosecution Service is currently doing a, re- a review of it, and I won't be able to comment on it until, they're complete the re- until they complete the review. Attorney General David Eby not commenting on specific questions in the case, in which Justice Masuhara called police conduct egregious, flagrant, and disappointing. 30-year-old Manbir Kajla had just married the love of his life, 
April 27th, 2011. That same night, the new bride watched in horror as her husband was hit with a barrage of bullets and killed after a road rage incident in Surrey. I know he was stubborn, but he's not in anything else. And not, a, not even a single thing. Gill was charged seven years later with second-degree murder and attempted murder. But the case crumbled after evidence crucial to Crown's case was thrown out last month. Alleged audio of the shooting captured on a cell phone seized by police from Gill's home deemed inadmissible. Basically, the police threw out the rule book, a systemic policy that went to the top of IHIT of basically flouting the law, of deliberately disregarding the law in what appears to be almost all of their cases across the board for a matter of years. Court evidence revealed IHIT was warned by a justice of the peace in 2007 that officers should not be ignoring Section 490 of the Criminal Code, which states police must get an extension order from the court if they are to hold evidence beyond 90 days. Despite advice from three legal experts, including two senior Crown counsel and the RCMP's own lawyer, the practice continued. Uh, I would refer you to IHIT in terms of their current practices. And for the provincial government, the review is being done by the Independent Prosecution Service. And, and I'll be waiting on that before commenting further. We asked IHIT for an interview several times, but still no answer. The Minister for Public Safety, Mike Farnworth, not talking either. The ministry says Wayne Rideout, who was in charge of IHIT at the time, is not doing interviews. Rideout is currently the Director of Police Services for the province. Romina Dea, Global News. Still to come on the news hour, a call to prioritize parents. Compassion doesn't have a timeline, so just put us on the list. How a shot for them is protection for their vulnerable children. Also ahead, a beloved bowling alley on the brink. Why it's unable to access the emergency rent subsidy. Two lanes north and one south at the Lions Gate Bridge. Traffic is eased off both ways with just some minor congestion at the north end of the merge. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide care, expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A quirk of Canadian tax law is a major strike against a struggling small business in the town of Chase. The owners of the local bowling lanes have tried to qualify for the emergency rent subsidy to help them survive the pandemic. But Consumer Matters reporter Andrew shows us why they've been turned down. In the village of Chase in BC's interior, Village Lanes Fund Centre provides a friendly social place for this small community of about 2,500 people. I'm just thankful to have the bowling alley within our community so we don't have to travel very far to have fun with our families and friends. But the bowling centre has hit hard times during the pandemic. Kaylin Collins and her husband Kelly own the centre and say revenues are down 60%. Bowling leagues, which normally take place between September and April, have been halted due to the provincial sports ban. Our league play makes up for approximately 80 to 90% of our overall revenue. Now public bowling is only offered for people within the same household on a limited basis three days a week. 
we are looking at the real possibility of having to close our doors. Okay, thanks. Have a good day. Kaylin says she has successfully applied for a couple of federal grants, but says that money is running out fast. She attempted to apply for the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy, but it's not an option, she says, because of her family connection to her landlord. While Kaylin and her husband own the bowling center, her mom and dad own the property. My husband and I, our business has no ties into their property other than the fact that we hand them over a rent check once a month. In order to be eligible for the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy, properties that do not qualify include any properties that are primarily used to earn rental income directly or indirectly from a non-arm's length party that are primarily used by that party to earn rental income. In other words, because Kaylin's parents own the property that houses her business, Kaylin is ineligible to apply. Her parents, however, could apply for the rent subsidy, but can't claim for the rental loss because their tenants are family members. However, her parents could apply and claim property in similar taxes, property insurance, and the interest on the commercial mortgage. If they can't make their payments, then we lose the vast majority of our, of our income from the building. Meantime, the Federal Department of Finance has told Consumer Matters it has introduced targeted support to help hard-hit businesses through the pandemic, including the up to 75% wage subsidy, the up to 90% rent subsidy, and lockdown support for which organizations in a related group can apply for eligible property expenses. But Kaylin says that's not enough. But this money would make the difference between possibly having to close and being able to stay open until September when we may be able to run our leagues again. For now, Kaylin and her husband say every day that passes is another day closer to potentially closing their doors. Andrewa, Global News. Surrey RCMP are looking into an unusual theft of three puppies. Police say the three American Bulldog puppies were taken during a break and enter on Saturday in the area of 174th Street and 8th Avenue in South Surrey. They say it happened between noon and 4 p.m. when the house was unoccupied. Well, it's hard for us without identifying the person or people who are responsible for this um, break and enter and theft for us to say exactly what their motivation was. But we do know that puppies in particular during the pandemic are a high value item. Puppies and dogs are very sought after. So we're asking anyone with any information to please give us a call. We're also releasing some photos of the three pups that were taken. Please have a look at those. If you see them come up on any social media or you know that someone has just recently come into custody of a very small American Bulldog like this, please give us a call so that we can follow up. Yes, if you have any information about the theft, call Surrey RCMP or you can call Crime Stoppers as well. Oh, sweet faces. So cute. So cute. All right, still ahead, compelling testimony at the Cullen Commission into money laundering. It's the easy access in terms of ports, airports, United States, Asia. We're very well situated. How criminals found out there's little downside to washing dirty money in B.C. from the man who wrote two reports on it. And it's a B.C. fishing trip they'll never forget. The American anglers who won't be invited back. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers worth investing in. 
Downtown bridges look great tonight. Burrard and Canby moving well both ways. Minor delays due to seismic upgrades and lane closures at the Granville Street Bridge. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The NDP government has delivered its second speech from the throne in just over four months. It lays out priorities for the coming legislative session. Lieutenant Governor Janet Austin hinted at some of the measures that will be included in the April 20th budget. Among them, further cuts to ICBC rates, increased health care spending, and record investments in infrastructure projects to help the economy come back stronger. Projects like the Broadway subway, Patella Bridge replacement, and Highway 1 expansion in the interior, and the final phase of the Kicking Horse Canyon, will keep moving forward. The George Massey crossing replacement will continue to be a priority and steps will be taken towards building the Surrey-Langley Skytrain, ensuring the line extends fully to Langley. The Lieutenant Governor noted that there are already signs the recovery is underway, with B.C. showing months of sustained economic growth and the highest job recovery rate in Canada. Well, the author of two major reports into money laundering in this province getting a chance to explain a controversial choice of words tonight. Peter German described Vancouver as a hub for money laundering criminals. And as John Hua reports, that image won't change without the political will to make it happen. From casinos to real estate to luxury cars, Peter German was hired by the province to uncover how British Columbia became a premier destination for criminals looking to launder their dirty money. It's the easy access in terms of ports, airports, United States, Asia. We're very well situated. But the organized crime, the downside is all that great. The Cullen Commission now shining a spotlight on the author's two reports on money laundering in B.C., including his use of the word unwittingly to describe how casinos became laundromats for criminal cash. I struggled on that word uh, a lot, um, but I reminded myself all along that I was not a fault-finding exercise. German, a former RCMP deputy commissioner and lawyer, did raise concerns about the Canadian justice system and the ability to properly and quickly investigate financial crimes. There are so many different components of how our system works that make it... Uh, very difficult, not only to to get someone into the courts, let alone sentence them. When it comes to policing, German told the commission prioritizing federal resources for investigations like money laundering fall behind provincial and municipal contracts. Oftentimes federal is the third to be staffed up. So that's an inherent problem. German was asked about whether he was involved in the decision of disbanding BC's illegal gaming enforcement team as the lower mainland district commander of the RCMP. To be very frank, um, I hardly remembered that it existed. Um, it wasn't. It didn't report to us in the lower mainland. German was also questioned about his limited interaction with the BC Lottery Corporation's chief operating officer, Brad Damaris, during the first Dirty Money review. He worked with you at some point, didn't he? We never worked together, 
but um, we were colleagues. In previous testimony, Damaris called German a mentor who was instrumental in his policing career. I guess I felt at the time that it was odd while all this was going on that he didn't reach out to me personally. I guess I thought that he was uh, um, concerned about a conflict. Whether it's his reports or recommendations delivered by the Cullen Commission, German says there needs to be a political commitment to change. One of the concerns that I would have is that recommendations can get lost. Warning that organized crime groups are constantly looking for new ways to wash their dirty cash. John Hua, Global News. A Richmond seafood plant, its co-owner and a supplier have all been fined a total of $110,000 for obstructing a fisheries investigation, including eating a receipt. The fine was laid against Tenshi Seafood. It's a million-dollar crab processing plant. Officers arrived for a routine inspection in 2018. The owner and staff blocked the inspector, wouldn't answer questions, and tried to hide several undersized crabs that were found discarded. Inspectors say co-owner Dishi Liu even attempted to destroy a receipt by eating it. Liu, the company, and a crab fisher were all fined for violating the Fisheries Act. And a trip to B.C. did not go uh, very well for a bunch of fishers from the U.S. They took an, it's an expensive lesson uh, in our laws as three Washington state men tried to fish here. The trio was found in Gold River in September of 2019 with what's described as a significant number of fish that had been caught in violation of their recreational license. The penalties have topped $70,000. That includes a $15,000 fine for one of the men, a forfeiture of his fishing gear, and two outboard engines worth more than $32,000. One fishery officer called it the most significant sport fish violation he'd seen in more than 20 years in his career. The mother of a 12-year-old boy who's fighting cancer is asking why parents of sick children aren't being prioritized for vaccinations. She says not only do those parents have to be at their child's side, their children also often have compromised immune systems. Erin MacArthur reports. Kelly Cannon is lucky. She's had her shot. Yeah, I've been vaccinated through the industry that I, I work within. But for hundreds of parents with medically vulnerable children, they are not so fortunate. Cannon can't understand why this group isn't being prioritized. I'm not saying we're a higher priority. What I'd say is we are a priority and why are we not on the list yet? In BC, critically vulnerable adult patients have been fast-tracked for vaccine. But in places like Ontario, that's been taken one step further. One caregiver of that patient is also greenlit for a shot. The provincial government says... Supply issues means choices have to be made. And right now, the risk is greater elsewhere. I would love to be able to do every group at once, but we can't. And we need to focus on how we move through that as quickly as possible. Low risk or not, according to Cannon, there is an enormous amount of pressure inside hospitals, on staff and on parents. A shot for parents would be the easiest way to ease everyone's mind. I feel safest in that hospital. It's been, the care has been first rate and the doctors and nurses take such precautions. It's that I, whatever I bring in is now access to all the other parents on the floor as well. BC's vaccination plan continues to be flexible to provide for different groups and communities when needed. But at this stage, parents of sick kids are going to have to wait. 
just a little bit longer. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up ahead, COVID myth busting. I call it science exploitation, you know, using real science in order to push misinformation. How one scientist is helping debunk the lies spreading online. But first, Burnaby firefighters rushed to the rescue of a woman who drove into her own house. Here is the Wines of BC question of the day. What makes wildflowers an important part of vineyard farming practices? A. They provide moisture to the vines. B. They attract bees and other insects important for contributing to biodiversity and sustainability in a vineyard. C. Their roots provide nutrients to the vineyard soil. D. They keep predators away. We'll be right back with the answer. The answer to today's Wines of BC question is B. Wildflowers attract bees and other insects important for contributing to biodiversity and sustainability in a vineyard. An elderly woman has been rushed to hospital after her vehicle went down an embankment and flipped into a home in Burnaby this afternoon. It happened in the 4700 block of Ridgelawn Drive at around 4. RCMP say the woman was conscious and alert when firefighters managed to pull her from the vehicle. Witnesses say it appears the woman may have put her vehicle into reverse instead of drive and then backed off a retaining wall, flipping the vehicle backwards into her house. While shaken up, her injuries are not believed to be life-threatening. Well, for the last year through this pandemic, we've become jealous of Christie's box out there in the <laughs> wilderness. And so now we're all in one as we uh, go forward in the pandemic here and, and obey the protocols. Um, what a beautiful day. And it just gets better from here, Christy. Oh, yes. Yeah. So temperatures are going to surge. It's all about numbers right now as we don't have any real weather in the forecast other than temperatures. And starting off with how cold it was over the weekend, we had record-breaking conditions over the weekend in parts of the province. And again this morning, record lows. Here's a look at the top four. Uh, Dees Lake down to minus 13.7. Nacoste close to minus 5. Powell River minus 2. And Pitt Meadows close to 0 degrees. And you'll note the old records are all from last year. So this year, this day last year was also very cold. Here's a quick look at your photos. This is this morning in the Fairwinds area. This is also this morning in Skidigat. And uh, beautiful daffodils. Thank you to Jean for that one. All right. So, yes, upper level ridge. It is a blocking pattern, meaning it's holding everything off. It's not until Sunday for the BC Peace River area that you'll see a change. And for our region, likely Monday. And it may change. So we're talking about seven days of heat. So let's have a look at the numbers. Average for Central Okanagan, 15. You're going to soar by the weekend to the mid-20s. So we're talking about potential 10 to 11 degrees above average. Central Interior Caribou, we're talking about 10 degrees above average for you come Friday and into Saturday as well. And the BC Peace River area, you will also be a good uh, 8 degrees above seasonal as you head into the latter part of the weekend, uh, latter part of the week. And there's the seven-day forecast for Metro Vancouver. So normal at the airport is 13. We're going to be well above that by a good 
57 degrees come Saturday. Areas away from the water, we're talking about low to mid-20s over the, sort of the Thursday to Sunday uh, time period. And if I missed your seven-day forecast for your specific region, go check out our Sky Tracker app uh, and you can get that seven-day forecast and have a look at the numbers for your region. There's our central windows weather window from Matt Squee. Alexandra Fontaine sending us that, showing the blue sky today over mm. the Fraser. All right, back to you guys. Beautiful. Wait, yeah. I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> I'm trying. The Brady which Bunch way, thing? Which way do I look? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know which oh. way to look. Right. The news show, Brady Bunch. Yeah. The only catch is here, of course, Christy gets to be outside in beautiful weather in her box, but mm-hmm. we're all socially distanced and safe here. So, Squire, over to you now. Well, I'm here on the lovely red couch set, which I've been on most of the uh, last year and a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Canucks COVID list got a bit smaller today. Travis Hamanek didn't see him on it. And Adam Gaudet's no longer on it because he was traded to Chicago. After the season he had last year, we're expecting him to come in and take another step. And, and we didn't really feel like he did that. So after a promising season last year, Gaudet is off to the Blackhawks. But that wasn't the only trade Vancouver made today. All right, we'll check in a little later. Thank you, Squire. Also tonight, crushing COVID lies, why it gets harder and harder as this pandemic drags on. All right, Squire's here now. Adam got up making a lot of news lately. That is true. Um, some for not so good, and I guess this could work out good for him. But I know that the moment the Canucks traded Adam Gaudet this morning, you knew that there would be people in Canucks Nation who would wonder if being patient zero of the Canucks COVID outbreak, was that the reason Gaudet is gone? Well, you would hope that's not the case, and nobody would say if it was. So let's consider that conspiracy theory right now. But what the Canucks did say about Adam Gaudet was that his head hit a ceiling that was a lot lower than management thought it would be. And that's the reason he's now a Chicago Blackhawk. The Vancouver Canucks' patience for Adam Gaudet had clearly run out. A season ago, the now 24-year-old recorded a career-high 12 goals and 33 points in 59 games. He looked primed to solidify his role as Vancouver's third-line center. But this year, it's been more of a misstep for Gaudet. Just four goals and a measly seven points in 33 games, shifting between center and wing, never really finding firm footing in either role. It was a lot of different things went into the the decision. Um, you know, at times he felt like he, you know, wanted to play higher in the lineup um, than he was. And, you know, we, we felt like, you know, when we talked to him, it was about his two-way game and keep improving upon that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it was just, it was the right time for him to get a fresh start. Throws in front, he scores! The exact same thing can be said of the player the Canucks are getting in return. Matthew Highmore is a year older than Gaudet and is also hoping a change of scenery can jumpstart his NHL career. Over parts of three seasons in a Blackhawks uniform, Highmore's picked up four goals and ten points in 73 career NHL games. But he does come cheap with a cap hit of 725000 this season and next. You know, Matthew Highmore plays a more complete uh, two-way game and you know he's a guy that gives us speed and you know I think given an opportunity he can score too. The Canucks also sent 33-year-old Jordy Ben to the Winnipeg Jets for a sixth round draft pick. Ben waving his no movement clause to go to a playoff team wanting to bolster its veteran presence on the blue line. 
The Canucks also added former Kelowna Rockets defenseman Madison Bowie. 25-year-old was a highly touted prospect coming out of junior who's now on his fourth NHL organization. Both new players expected to be in Vancouver this week and will enter quarantine as the Canucks prepare to restart their NHL season. I think in every out of every five days, we play four games from almost now to the rest of the year. So it's not going to be easy, but, it, you know, in this... And this season, with all the things you have to deal with, with COVID and stuff, it is what it is. Thank you, Todd Bertuzzi. It is what it is. The uh, Canucks had 10 players on the ice today. It was just a skate for the guys cleared to be there. They are hoping to have a full team practice on Wednesday. Wednesday is also the day, Jim Benning said, when Elias Pettersson sees another specialist. And maybe, if all is good, he might be able to play at the end of the week. That's still up in the air, though, which is uh, what it is for every Canuck who has had COVID and the head coach, Travis Green, as well. Talking to different players, um, some guys feel feel really good and they're ready to go. Other guys are still feeling some residual effects of the COVID. So, you know, we'll just deal with if they have any effects through, you know, this week skating and stuff with the COVID, we'll deal with them. But Hopefully, you know, when we play Friday night, we got uh, we got our full team back in play. Um, as far as Travis, Travis is feeling better every day. I haven't talked to him yet today, so hopefully he's ready to go too when we get back going. Leafs and Habs, Nick Suzuki in Montreal at home for this one, and they have a 2-0 lead after this goal by Nick Suzuki on the power play from Shea Weber. There's the wrist shot. There's the 2-0 advantage. But Toronto erases that, and it's a scrambly goal here. Finally ends up being a John Tavares goal. That makes it 2-2 in the second period. But before the second period is out, this proves to be the winning goal for Montreal. Josh Anderson, 4-2 the final for the Habs. So they're 10 points up in the Canucks now, but the Canucks do have two games in hand. i got to show you this. Coquitlam Express, Ryan Tattle. Look what he does. Oh, it's a lacrosse-style Michigan goal, and remember a couple of years ago we did that story on firefighter Mike Legg, the Burnaby firefighter, who first did this in college when he was with Michigan. But now Ryan Tattle is on the Michigan goal list. Although his team did lose to Surrey 3-2 in overtime, but still, nice goal by that Coquitlam Express forward. All right, New England Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman has retired after 12 years and three Super Bowl wins and a Super Bowl MVP award. He is packing it in at the age of 34. He'll be 35 next month. Last year didn't play very much because of a bad knee, and that's the reason he is retiring. Nothing in my career has ever come easy. And no surprise, this isn't going to be easy either. Now, I've always said, I'm going to go until the wheels come off. And uh, they finally have fallen off. It's been the best 12 years of my life. It's a hell of a run. Uh, that's honest. It's... The wheels have fallen <laughs> off. Therefore, I've got to quit. you got to be tough to pass an NFL physical, and I know he's, he struggled with that for sure. But uh, sad to see him go. What a thrilling player. Thank you, Squire. All right, coming up, separating fact from fiction during the pandemic and why that's getting harder and harder. That's next. 
Well, if fighting COVID isn't hard enough, scientists say myths and misinformation are making the battle increasingly difficult. A lot of lies and half-truths appear online, amplified through social media since the beginning of the pandemic. But as it drags on, the tone has shifted. Fletcher Kent has more. Navigating all the COVID truths, half-truths, and, well, the rest? It's not safe. It's killing people. Well, it's a lot. But what they are actually admitting to doing here, to me, is actually even worse because they're, they're physically changing our DNA. Everywhere, COVID claims get made, including at an Edmonton anti-restriction rally. Never be used for the coronavirus testing. And that is so sad. That's why our numbers are not real or accurate. I call it science exploitation. you know, using real science in order to push misinformation. And unfortunately, we're seeing it again and again right now. Researcher Tim Caulfield says armchair or outlier scientists often make claims that are then spread by people who want to believe them. Claims like PCR tests aren't accurate and COVID's therefore not that widespread. That's false. These kinds of tests have been successfully used for decades. Or vaccines are changing our DNA. They're not. Our cells and immune systems are getting instructions from the mRNA vaccine. DNA is not part of the process. Now, Caulfield notes, as the pandemic drags on and COVID fatigue grows, these myths tend to evolve and, much like the vaccine, are more targeted. I think it has changed. And one of the ways that it has evolved is it's become more ideological. He says it's often coming from people wanting to sell either products or their own brand. And it resonates, which worries Caulfield. There's been research that has shown that the misinformation, the current misinformation, has greatly contributed to vaccination hesitancy. Caulfield says the answer for the scientific community? Good science, better communication, and hopefully get heard amidst all the other noise. Rebranded flu at best, right? Fletcher Kent, Global News. And it's going to get worse, maybe before it gets better. That's why we got to keep it tight and keep it apart <laughs> as we are in our individual safe little boxes. We're in separate studios. Well, Chris and Squire on other, either yeah. side of the big studio and then I'm in. I've been banished, I and could, so is Christy. <laughs> I could throw a football over to Squire. <laughs> yeah, I have too. But we're a long way we're away. a long way away. It'd be a long pass, actually. It'd you guys are down. matching, you and Squire, Chris and Squire. It is amazing how that worked out. Wow. All right, it's great to see you guys, uh, and thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.